everybody. This is Kirk Henderson. Welcome to Mavs Moneyball Live. I'm hoping to be joined by my friend Danny Morang, who is a Blazers reporter and does a lot of things for the Blazers. But in the meantime, I just wanted to talk to you guys about, you know, some some things that I've seen written on the last few days and, you know, looking ahead to the Blazers game a bit. And we will see, you know, what all we have going down. Um, For those of you who missed it yesterday, there was a really excellent article, which I'm going to read you a snippet of. My friend Sirat Sohi wrote an article uh, for Yahoo Sports. If you don't follow her on Twitter, you should. She's a phenomenal writer and thinker. Uh, She's also really good on podcasts, which I hope to hear more of her. Um, But she wrote a piece called Luka Doncic stuck with the, quote, terrible shot and created magic versus the Clippers. She talks about his step back and, and goes in, in really into detail better than just about anybody that I've seen write on it. Because what she does is she really puts uh, brevity is the soul of wit is essentially what I'm thinking of, where she she gets a lot in in not many words. And this is just an incredible series of paragraphs. And I was just going to read them to you real quick. Luka Magic makes you realize they call him Wonder Boy, not because he's a boy wonder, but because he plays with the wonder of a boy, play being the operative word. More than 400 NBA players play basketball. Fewer gifted with the talent and carefree guile of children, the privilege to fail enough to create new things. He makes you realize that to make magic, we must try things we shouldn't, and that there's a recklessness inherent to invention, to seeing things that other people don't. Paul McCartney called it the fine line between chaos and creation. Doncic dribbles on it. Uh, I just love that in the sense that it's so easy to get kind of not like bored, but just bypass Doncic. I did that on our podcast in the locker room the other night, to be quite honest with you, where I really, really wanted to talk about uh, KP because I was impressed with his play in in Richardson. But then Luca was obviously... (laughs) story and it's so easy to to be able to move past that uh and and just get bored with the the absolute wonder and and things that he does when he's on the court um so as i'm waiting for dan to join us if if he's even here and dan if you are invite yourself up on stage i wanted to uh to see if anybody would like to to come on and and kick off any questions or subjects they'd like to talk about because i i have a, a lot of things we could chat about and those of you who know me know I can babble in, in, incessantly. Oh, good. Brian, what's happening? Hey, Kirk. How are you? Uh, it's a nice little Friday. I took the day off and decided I would uh, do different work, which is here being with you guys in the locker room. Well, we appreciate you spending your day off um, talking basketball with us. That's right. Uh, question. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure if you or Josh or anybody else had mentioned this on like a re- recent podcast. Uh have you had a chance to really – You're having terrible connection, my man. Yeah, your connection is completely not there, my friend. Yeah, are you guys hearing this with Brian? Yeah, he just he just completely checked out. Um <laughs> All right, uh, you guys are not hearing Brian. Yeah, me either. He he he's he went from being on stage to to being out of locker room entirely, which uh, you know that happens. I think he might have been calling in from the road. Um, <clears throat> until then, I'm going to take uh, take a question from the the chat. Vinay Matthews asks, "Do you think Thad Young would be a good fit for the Mavs?" I really, really do. Um, 
I don't think the Mavericks have enough to get him, which is kind of crazy because that's a pretty old older veteran. Uh, but the Bulls are probably going to be one of these teams that thinks they're in contention for the um, – for the for the play-in tournament, and they just don't have a lot of incentive to move on. Uh, you know, you go on a four-game streak in the East, and things end up working out for the best. So it's it's. I think he would work in a lot of ways. He's the kind of off-season signing the Mavericks haven't made. You know, just because they they, they tend to look pad. They tend to just the last three years. I think they've found veterans who don't really work with the way that they would would like to uh, uh, pause it. So it's it's. I don't know. It's very frustrating for me. Taylor, what's happening? Nope, didn't actually press accept. I always miss the button, just so. Taylor, what's happening? Hey, what's going on? What can Uh, I do for you today? You actually, you brought up assets, and it got me to, maybe it's a depressed way of thinking, but what would you say about the Mavs using the cap space, like, at this trade deadline to gain assets in order to use later? Since we have such a great track record of using that cap space, why not just <laughs> why not just use it to gain assets? That way, we can you know when Bradley Beal becomes available or whoever, we can use that cap space then. See, and you're sorry, thinking use, like use those assets then. You're thinking like players that they could then you know kind of build up value and turn around, or even down the road, or even hey, you know you don't like that contract, send us some draft capital. We'll we'll figure out how to make it work. That way we have because we're just so asset bare. Like it just drives me nuts. Oh, I mean, you're you're 100 right on the on the the limit the limited nature of of what the Mavericks are dealing with right now. Tim Cato and John Hollinger put out a piece in the Athletic today where they're kind of going through the different options for the Mavericks. Yeah, that's and actually what inspired my way of thinking. I read that this morning. <laughs> there are no sellers, is the problem. Right. And and I'm not sure if you guys listen to the Woj podcast. He said something where it was something along the lines of if you don't know who the sellers are on the market, then it's probably you. And the Mavericks are are kind of lower on that list than we'd like to to admit uh, because they're you know they're an eight seed and a losing streak could put them out of it. Now we all know or believe rather that you know happiness is right around the corner for these Mavericks. They get through these two Portland games and if they could split them, I would be gleeful and then maybe they're going to be able to go on a little bit of a run. But they did sort of accept a number of bad you know big contracts in the off season. Uh, James Johnson's sixteen million is probably going to stay with the Mavericks would be my guess. I don't see who, you know, it's not like they're, they don't have enough assets to send out to get somebody. And I'm not sure who would be willing, like, who do they have that they could then, you know, sort of tread water with. Cause it's not like you want to use like Jalen Brunson and send him away for something else because he's too important to the team. I mean, the, the, the rotation the last few nights has really, has really made clear just how thin the Mavericks actually are. So it, it's, it's, I don't know. It's very, very frustrating. Um, what'd you, sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt. No, uh, no, what'd, you, what'd you think of the, the Rockets trade that they listed there where the Mavs got Oladipo, Daniel house, and I can't even remember who hate else it, it hate was. It, hate it, hate it, hate it, okay. hate it, hate it. I, I and here's I'm, why. I'm an Oladipo fan. So I kind of like, you it, are. But I, I, I see both sides of it. I'm less about Ola, like concerned about Oladipo in that sending out a first rounder for a shot at Oladipo fundamentally bothers me. Oh, you're right. I forgot. I forgot about that aspect. That's yeah. why it's yeah. it's and it's not even people misunderstand me when I, I the Mavericks aren't going to use the draft the way they want the way I want to anyways. But I would rather have that card to play down the road for Definitely. if somebody else is available because if we're out two first rounders today 
and then we are at another third round or first rounder. So that's three first rounders gone for what? At least when the Bucks went and got Drew Holiday, like they got freaking Drew Holiday. Right. Uh, you know, there's like something to show for it. Sending a first round pick to to maybe get Victor Oladipo, who by this this should you know he's he's borderline bad roommate syndrome. I mean, the guy has been on lots of teams. He doesn't seem to be happy. He also seems to want to go to Miami. And from what I've kind of read and heard from chatting with with you know sourced friends, like Miami's not even that into him. So it's just this is a he's a guy who gives me that kind of vibe that he thinks he's a rung above the actual player he is. And and that just concerns me because we've seen this, we're already dealing with this with Porzingis where you're kind of having to massage his ego. And there's just only so much of that can go around. So I didn't really love that trade. Um, what Last, jet, last one. Sorry. I don't know if you listened to Nate Duncan, the dunked on trade deadline, and they had Josh Green, James Johnson for Oladipo. So a lot less... And I think a second round pick. So a lot. Do you less see the going. Rockets taking that? Would you I, if you were the Rockets? They're smarter than GM? me, which is they're they're smarter than me, which is the only reason I thought maybe um, maybe they like the potential of Josh Green or something, but something like that I didn't know. Well, great. Well, I'm gonna. I have so I have uh, Jesse up on stage here, and then I have my guest uh, Dan, who's going to join us uh, in just a minute. So Jesse, what do you got before I invite uh, Dan up on stage? Hey, Kirk, how you doing? Um, I wanted to pivot for a second and talk about, I do like the idea that Taylor said about taking on some assets, maybe even taking on a bad contract for another player that we like on a team. Um, sure. Because, you know, especially if they have like two years left that are that's a bad contract, we can absorb that and then kind of put ourselves in a position later to make some trades. But um, I wanted to talk about the Blazers because we have a back-to-back against the Blazers. And... Um, the MVP conversation, I think there's an outside chance of Luca being in the conversation. I don't think he's really – he's probably out of the top five right now. But if he can get – if like the, the narrative is going to change. If we win these games against the Blazers and start to go on a run, that, that puts us up there. We could put ourselves in the fifth spot pretty quickly. So – that may change the narrative if towards the end of the year we're at the four spot and Luka's got really good games against other MVP candidates. I think he could be back in the conversation. Uh, what do you think about that? I think it's there just because it might be kind of last man standing. Uh, I, I'm glad that, that you asked it because I've been thinking about it for a while. And I was listening to uh, a different podcast. I think the True Hoop one today where they're kind of talking about LeBron as the de facto guy. For me, my 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 MVP candidate at the moment has to be Dame. I, it's probably some sort of, of crazy thing to say to a room full of Mavs fans because he just has attendance. But the dude is good and has just been absolutely crushing it for a while. Um, His clutch percentage is so good. And, like, he's literally won games in the last two minutes. It's higher than anybody. He has a true shooting percentage of, like, 89% in the clutch, <laughs> which is by far the highest in the NBA. Like, by far. So, right. um, yeah, I think there's a really big case for him. I think if you put LeBron versus – LeBron, you know, not to get into it, but, like, with L.A., he's not necessarily playing, like, outstanding winning basketball without AD. And I think Luka proved that he could win without KP, and Luka's numbers are better across the board. So I think that that's a close conversation. Obviously, LeBron's the better player in general, is he? I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I think Dame is probably the best game. 
Yeah, because it's a it's a who's the most valuable to the team. People misunderstand what MVP right. is. They're like, oh, it's the best player. It's the best player. Well, yeah, of course LeBron's the best player. Again, still at age 300. But, like, what Dame is doing is vicious. Like, what I, I went to bed at, during that Pelicans game and woke up and then watched the re- highlights and was like, this is some mean things happening to that fan base. But speaking of the Blazers, I've got my friend Danny Morang, who does a lot for everybody. Let me pull up his credentials here before he starts talking. Um, Danny, how you doing today? I'm doing all right, man. How you doing? I'm great. So, guys, if you don't know Danny, he's the host of the NBC Northwest Blazers Outside Outsiders post game, which means this guy gets on television, which I think is some bullshit. <laughs> but you know, he's he's <laughs> it is he's he's my friend. I've known him since summer league for a couple of years. We play video games together every now and again, and I thought of him today to come talk to us a little bit about the Blazers before we play the Mavs' fifth straight game later than kind of the normal time slot, like. I'm on the East Coast, so I'm going to die because this game starts at 10 o'clock, but at least it's Friday. So so what? Talk to, talk to us a little bit about the last several weeks of Blazers basketball. What's been going on with the Blazers? What are kind of the main storylines and things that we as Mavs fans ought to know? Well, you kind of hit on it. The, the Dame MVP stuff, and I'm I'm a stickler on the MVP stuff. You've got to be have like a you know a top three kind of record. But what Dame has done, um, I, I think it's it's kind of insane when you think about the fact that it, don't 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 look at the box scores, folks. Dame's barely six one. Like I, I stand yes. next to him regularly. He's 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 barely six <laughs> one, and for him to do what he does at that size is insane. It is absolutely unequivocally, violently insane that he is as good as he has been. And the clutch stuff, it's not just that he's been great in all these superlatives. He's quite literally blowing away every other clutch performance metric that they've ever had. It's it's such an aberration that they're still struggling to quantify it. And that's just kind of been the storyline because he's doing this without their second and third best players. And the mm-hmm. drop-off from Dame to CJ to Nurk to the other guys as far as, like, actual production and stuff that you can count on is pretty significant. It's Gary Trent Jr., and then they're quite literally relying on the corpse of Carmelo Anthony to play 18 minutes of offense and two minutes of defense a night. Like, that's in their, in their winning games. And what and seed are they in the West right now? I should know this. but Oh, uh, I, I don't know. Carry the one, divide by two. <laughs> they're, they're, they're fifth? But I think they're two and a half games out of second. I think is yeah. what, it, what it was. No, that's right. I got it right here. I got they're yeah, six so right they, now. They're tied, but they're tied with Denver. So Denver must yeah. be in the tiebreaker. Oh yeah, Denver's seven and one in their division. Good lord. Um, yeah. So that that's part of it right there. So if so, say you're a Mavericks coach. How do you defend Dame? What is what is the thing that you think teams either do well to stop him or aren't doing enough of that could actually kind of like you know quell the frame the flamethrower so to speak? So you need to get into him early and often. You need if you aren't starting the game out by trapping him, you're doing it wrong. You need to make again. This plays into the whole the fact that he's six foot one, two hundred and fifteen pounds. He has to do a lot to get free when you send a six foot eight guy, when you send a seven footer, when you send somebody with, with size, strength, mobility to make him see tighter windows, both as a shooter and as a creator. He's not Luca, where he can use his body and length and size to create separation at the rim, decel on somebody, and then shoot over the top. 
Dame still gets his shot blocked every now and he still gets passes deflected when you put bodies on him, but he's still able to kind of defeat those things. So the, the big thing is if you're not trapping him and living with the others beating you, you're doing it wrong. You, you, you need to play the long game because if you let Dame go in single coverage, he's going to kill you. It, he is, it is at that point you are going, he is going to drop 38 on you. He's going to do it at dumb efficiency and then he's going to get everybody else involved mid-game, and you're going to look up late game in the fourth quarter and go, that's only a five-point game. Then Dame's going to drop 18 on you in the quarter and walk away with a win. That's how it's going to go if you single cover him. So what is his personal vendetta against Dorian Finney-Smith? Because he seems to enjoy lighting <laughs> him on fire. And me as a our, – our, our Slack is – or Slack. Our channel here is asking, and I've asked this, Josh Richardson is smaller, but we all like Richardson on him he's, as opposed he's, to Dorian. He's played Dame better, too. I no, think no, so. Jay Rich has played Dame better. He he has. He's actually been one of the guys that over over the years has actually played Dame pretty well. I don't know why Carlisle hasn't hasn't put him on him more regularly. Um, CJ's got to be, be back the size thing, but Dame is so good. You know the 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 the, the back breaking three. Jalen Brunson was supposed mm. to come double if you remember this in the Valentine's Day game, top of the key, yep. like three feet beyond, and he just did a little shoulder shimmy and. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith froze, like absolutely froze. And that's the sort of thing that I think Richardson's better at because he's not – he's a little less flat-footed. But it's – to you – but generally you're saying like size does bother him more than quickness. Well, to an extent when when you're bringing the second guy. Oh, from the second guy. I can't – okay. Yes. On ball, the best defenders that Damian Lillard has dealt with his entire career, the guys that have given him the most problem, number one, Chris Paul. Chris Paul owns Damian Lillard's heart, soul, and mind. It's, it's, it makes no sense. If you go look at their head-to-head stats, it is gross. It is gross what Chris <laughs> Paul has done to Damian Lillard. It, it, every player has that one guy, and Chris Paul is that guy for Dame. He is the demon that he cannot exercise. Uh, like number two on that list is honestly Victor Oladipo. Oladipo huh. pre pre injury was elite speed, uh, lateral mobility, great strength, would cut you off on angles. Um, and then number three was Mike Conley. So those three guys have, have easily defended Damian Lillard better than any other guard in the NBA. And it's they aren't big guys; they're incredibly high IQ defensive side of the ball. They read their angles. They don't play with their hands. They they know where they want to, you know, kind of angle you to a sideline. And they're just really, really crafty about how they navigate. That's the big thing is those three are guys are in their primes are probably three of the best at navigating screens. It's almost impossible to screen those guys cleanly. I like that. I like that a lot. So Outside of Dame, is there anyone else at the moment that has been cooking for the last several games? Is there anybody that you're kind of like, or or, or kind of an X factor that you'd consider for this game? Yeah, Covington found his shot. Ugh. So he's shooting forty two percent from three on over. I think it's six attempts uh, over the last ten or twelve games now. So he started the season first twenty ish games, twenty five games. He was like twenty nine thirty percent, and he's up to. 41, 42% over yes. the last 12 now. So, and it's, it's on a higher volume. Uh, Gary Trent Jr. had his first shooting slump of his career. Um, it looks like he's kind of still stuck in it. So last night, I believe he was 0 for 
over six from three. I'm trying to remember off the top. Oh, of my that's head. good. He'll, he, he'll it, yeah. The Mavericks are the team to get hot against. It's yeah. yeah well, we, I mean, the, the Blazers had their best defensive performance of, of the season last night. They shot thirty-seven percent from the field, thirty-two from three, and they got a win. They they held the Pelicans to their lowest point output for an opponent for the Blazers this year uh, at ninety-three points, and it was unequivocally the Blazers' best defensive effort. They were they were all patting each other on the back. So. Uh, I think that was a bit of an aberration, both offensively being so far off and defensively um, being that aggressive. Luca has been – he has had some of the most phenomenal performances I've seen uh, against a Blazers opponent in the Dame era. He elevates – like when he plays against Dame, I don't know what it is. He has had some abs- – I mean, that last game, he got that look coming off the curl, the butt yep. naked that rimmed out. I mean, he hits that shot. You know, Dallas walks away with a win. And I think every one of these games over the last two years has kind of been like that with him. So um, it, it, somebody's going to get hot for Portland outside of Damian Lillard. McCollum's back, but he has been a train wreck through two games. He, he's, he, had, he was 0 for 10 from two last night. Ooh. So maybe, maybe he's going to get it, fight his get-right game against Dallas. So I'm going to invite uh, Vinay. What's happening? You're afraid to talk? That's okay. No, if you had a question you wanted to talk, don't worry about it. But if you got something you want to pitch to us later, please let us know. Um, let's see here. I did have some questions, but now my brain isn't working. Um, what is happening with with Gary Trent? Is he going? It, Mavericks fans are we're a thirsty lot right now. Um, in that we're all thinking a we're, a lot of us are kind of pivoting to the off season. Like we think the Mavericks might be able to do something. They're going to be in the play in at least, but we have asked, like, I think a lot of us are starting to pivot to what happens next. Um, what is the deal with, with Gary Trent and what is going to happen with him long-term with, with the Blazers? Is he is, can the Blazers afford to keep him? Cause y'all got some expensive dudes under contract. So here's, as I understand, as it goes with Gary Trent Jr., uh, Gary's going to get paid. Um, I've heard from multiple players and multiple people around the league and from folks at Clutch. It's going to be between 18 and $20 million is the number that I've heard. So, sure. Which, I mean, he's probably one of the 10 best three-point shooters in the league right now. Uh, volume and percentage, catch and shoot, off the dribble, off the curl. He's a plus defender. He's not elite, but Portland needs a guy like that, and they can't just let him walk for free. So, worst case scenario, they'll match unless there's like a, a an offer that is just obscene. You know, we're talking twenty five, twenty six, bordering on that near max uh, for his uh, year and slot level. But beyond that, they'll 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 try to retain him, but not to keep him long term. They'll they'll look to, to flip him if, if they keep him at that rate, if they can get him to agree for it on a deal, which, you know, a lot of clutch clients have uh, successfully been taken down off their spot, you know? <laughs> so sure. uh, don't really foresee that happening, but I think if Portland, if I had to, if I had to pick a side on it, I think they find a way to work a sign and trade uh, in the off season. But I think he, again, he ends up in the somewhere in that 18 to $20 million range. They just have, they have too much money committed between Dame CJ. And if they add Gary Trent to the mix, you got $90 million committed to three guards. And that's, yes. You yeah, just can't and, do that. And, today's NBA. 
and, and but he's a bigger guard at least. So the the, the Blazers have that, you know, as opposed to playing paying two, you know, to, totally undersized guards. Um, I invited up on there uh, Sean Hyken, who is a Bleacher Report article and a friend of both Danny and mine, is up here on stage with us. Sean, how are you today? What's going on? We're just uh, you know talking a little shop. So do you have any uh, any firm Gary Trent takes? We've already touched on Dame. We've talked a little bit about you know the just kind of the comings and goings of the season and the fact that that Dame is is my my opinion the stealth MVP candidate to to get behind right now. But uh, what Blazers uh, Blazers thoughts do you have that the Mavs audience might appreciate? Well, I mean, we've just seen. I was at both of the New Orleans games. I will actually be at both of the. Uh... Mavs games tonight and uh, Sunday, the other one? Yes, uh, Friday and Sunday. Thank goodness there's a break between games. Yeah, so uh, I, I mean, this this whole, I mean, this, this these last two games, the two New Orleans games are, have basically been what this season has been, which is just Dame being awesome, bailing out the defense. And, I mean, their defense was actually pretty good last night, but for the most part, this season, you know, it's been it's been Dame just bailing everybody else out. That's been the story of the season. I know Dan's probably with me on that. Well, at what point, like, are you guys ever expecting any sort of regression? Because I feel the last several years, Dame has just the second half of the season is when he's really been cooking dudes, and he, instead, it's really just kind of been this whole season for for him. <laughs> like, is there any sort of come down point? Because I, I sort of expect a regression to the mean just based on the numbers, but he's been doing it for so long right now that this feels very uh, – someone in the chat compared him to Dirk Nowitzki, which I agree in the sense of the guy just has the knack for the big shot in the big moment and really just hyper-efficiency, which for somebody his size is preposterous. I mean, is there any of that happening? Because he's just been carrying the Blazers for so long that it feels like this just might be normal. Well, it would be hard for him to be better than he is right now, so – I mean, I guess there's only town for it to go, but I mean, it's it's just like you just said. Like, uh, there's it always seems everything about this team, and, and this has been kind of the case for several years. Everything about this team on paper, you would think, oh, there's no way they're going to keep this up. There's no way they're going to still be as good as they are. But th- like, you know, just just based on all the different metrics, all the personnel, all that stuff, and then they just always do. And I just, I mean, until it's one of those things where until until it doesn't happen, you kind of just have to assume it will. That's the thing, right? Is that this this team right now? It's it makes no sense. And as far as like regression and like every time you try to like put a box around it, they they kick it down. They have no business winning games the way they've been winning games. I mean, there's there's one guy that they can count on night in night out outside of Damian Lillard right now, and it's a name that I haven't said since I've been in here. And that's Ennis Cantor. Like Ennis Cantor has been, been been their second most valuable and most consistent player all season. And he ate Dallas alive last time on the offensive boards. He's just kind of a yeah. He's a guy with like the numbers and all the advanced data just shit all over him, and yet he shows up every year and makes a difference on teams that perform pretty well. It's I mean, funny. he's you know what he is. He's basically uh, you know how Hito. I mean, it's, it's a coincidence that it's just another, it's another Turkish guy that I'm making this comparison to. Total, <laughs> co- total, total coincidence. And I know they're on opposite sides of, of their of certain other uh, things. But you remember how Hito Turkoglu would always get traded or signed different places, and he was always terrible. But then whenever he was in Orlando, he was randomly just awesome. That's kind of what Ennis Cantor is in Portland, where like he was. You know, there was the whole can't play Cantor thing in Oklahoma City. He wasn't very good on the Knicks. 
he gets to Portland, he steps in as a starting center when Nurkic goes down with that playoff run, and he's you know he's a starting center on a team that makes the conference finals. Then he signs with Boston, and you know he's okay for them in the regular season, but he by the playoffs he's like barely in the rotation. And then he gets to Portland, and he's been awesome again. So I wonder if Portland yeah, is, is is his Orlando. Uh, there's probably something to, to the comfort level of it. There's also the uh, whole idea of like Terry Stotts has his flaws, but he's really good at finding like the two or three things that you're really good at and saying, go do those two or three things. And Ennis Cantor is one of the three best offensive rebounders in the entire league. One of probably the five or six best finishers around the rim and one of the best screeners in the league. So they said, you know what? We know you can't play defense. We know you're, you're, you can't come out above the free throw line and guard. We know you're not going to be good in pick-and-roll coverage. We need you to go be dumb and big at the rim uh, on both sides and screen a lot. And that's that's cool. That's good enough for us. And that's what he does. He goes out every night. He grab, gobbles up offensive rebounds like a hungry, hungry hippo. He They run almost no offense for him. And somehow, like last night, he had five shots and ended up with 16 points. All because he just beat the hell out of the Pelicans on the offensive glass. It's just like, it, it doesn't make any sense, but they put him in a position to succeed at the three things he does really well, and they just kind of write off the other stuff and try to cover up for it in, in, in creative ways. Well, and that's the offensive boards is, is probably going to be one of the areas to watch closely tonight. I'm looking at the last box score. The Blazers only had 36 rebounds against the Mavericks in a game that was 121 to 118. Of those 36 rebounds, 10 of them were offensive. The Mavericks had very similar numbers, but the offensive rebounds are just the thing all year long that has sort of eaten Dallas alive. And the the Valentine's Day game was the game where I just lost it about Porzingis, where he had he kept letting Dame go by him in an attempt to essentially try to block a shot from behind, but he wasn't moving very well. After that, they sat him for for a number of games, um, and more recently, he's looked alive. He's kind of looked, uh, you know. Just a lot more engaged. He was huge against the Clippers the other night. And it'll be very interesting to see what sort of game he has against the Blazers because the, is, is Nurkic is playing. And so he'll, that sort of bigger guy is someone that can get, you know, him and Cantor can really bully ball Porzingis a little bit. But I'm, I'm just going to be interested to see how the guy responds because the, the offensive rebounding and those sorts of things are just what have crushed Dallas this year. Let's see here. Does anybody else have anything in the chat that we want to uh, to know about with the with the Blazers? Because I think I'm going to attempt to pivot to some free agency stuff. Oh, how's our? Uh, didn't the Blazers have the dunk contest winner? Where is he on here? Or did everybody? I don't leave? know. I don't. I don't. I don't think Dan. I don't think Dan likes that guy very much. <laughs> no, he did. Dan, Dan. Dan left the stage by accident. Dan, what's? Here and now you've muted yourself. Um, that was fun. Yes, I, I got yes, a the, app update in the middle of this. Oh yes, yeah, so you're told you're kicked off the thing. Um, so so yeah. So tell us, are, who are the Blazers for each of you? Who are the Blazers player that you drive? And and I'm Sean. Sean's going to love this. Who's the Blazers player who drives you the craziest that gets minutes? Well, I know who Dan's is going to be. You <laughs> <laughs> don't know which way I'm going to go with it. You don't <laughs> let's, because. Because it was mellow because he just he, he would absolutely pound the air out of the ball, but he's making decisions now with the ball that, that he doesn't take eight seconds off the shot clock every time he touches it. He's, he's much more like, even if he's going to take a bad shot, 
he's not grinding a possession to a halt. So <laughs> I, I, I've pivoted away from that for the most part because he's doing the things that I want him to do. Wow. Right now it's Rodney Hood. Hood, Hood, wow. Hood is unplayable. Hood is unplayable. Unplayable. He, he, he has he has no versatility on either end of the ball right now. He's he can't stay in front of anybody, and it, it, it sucks because he's a good it's dude. A, it's mainly a physical thing, just because of the. It's injury. entirely a physical thing. It, it's recovering from the Achilles, and he he got the death nail. Like, sure, KD came back, and he he's the one in a million that that got it right. Wes Matthews came back. I mean, obviously, Dallas, you got to see him when he came back off of that. He at least had a couple Honestly, of even years. Dwight Powell this year. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. It takes a couple. It's a twenty-four. It's an eighteen to twenty-four month injury. That, yeah, that he's, in, he's coming back. Nowhere, he's nowhere near capable of staying in front of anybody. You'll see like this, like little spurt of athleticism, like somebody sprinkles a little bit of, you know, magical healing dust on his Achilles for two possessions, and he'll look fine. And then the next time you'll see him try to like open his hips up, and he just can't move. Sure. And it's just, it's 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 frustrating because not only does he. I mean, he's shooting 36% from the field, 28% from three. So he's not giving you, like, any kind of offensive production. And Terry puts his trust in guys that have delivered for him in big moments. And Rodney Hood had a Game 7 performance in in the Western Conference semifinals that basically helped them win the series. So there's, there's a trust factor there, and he goes to him quite a bit when he should be looking down the bench at Nasir Little. And it's like, it's, it's, it's a little bit frustrating when you're like, God, you wish the Blazers would be a little bit more athletic, a little bit more explosive, a little bit more dynamic. And you look down the bench and you see a couple guys who one of them is just won the slam dunk championship. And the other one is a six foot seven, seven foot three wingspan athletic freak. And then you watch Rodney Hood drag his leg up and down the court. And you're kind of like, huh, okay. So it's, it's definitely frustrating. What about you, Hyken? I'm kind of with Dan. It's just, it's, it's unfortunate because Rod, like Rodney was so, I mean, even the last year before the injury, he was having the best year of his career. And then it happens and it just, I mean, yeah, Terry keeps playing him and I understand kind of why he does it, but it's just, it's, he's not the same guy anymore. I'm going to answer my own question about the Mavericks, even though you both may know the answer. So I, <laughs> it goes, it goes a couple. No, like there's really options because early in the season it was Jalen Brunson who has since had kind of a bounce back season. But I just want to read you guys his stat line the other night versus the Clippers. He played 16 minutes and had five turnovers. Five of them happened in eight minutes. It was one of the most incredible stretches of basketball that I've ever seen. Uh, he turned the ball over on four straight possessions, I believe. It was, it was just like watching a guy in quicksand. So, but he's no longer really on my crap list. It's got to be now. It's it's pivoted recently to Trey Burke, who Rick Carlisle continues to give minutes to. But the the thing that I think you guys will be interested in watching, uh, and all Blazers fans and really Mavs fans should be into this too, is how short a rotation Carlisle's playing. If you look at the Mavs minutes recently, they've been looking like games out of the early 2000s and late 90s, where like the, these are the minutes totals for the starters. 41, 37, 34, 43, 39. That shouldn't happen in the modern NBA. But the Mavs have just no depth because Dorian Finney-Smith was out. He'd had a new baby. And then the rest of the Mavericks are either bad or they're rookies. And so Rick Carlisle has, has, has the same problem. It's just a veteran coach problem where if a guy hasn't done anything for you, the, lead, the, the, call, the, 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 uh, 
the leash basically is so short and they just get yanked off the floor in a minute. Like Mavericks rookie Josh Green, my he's in he's in uh, the the phantom zone just kind of permanently. It's very it's it's very unfortunate. Um, do you guys have any other kind of Mavericks things that you're that you're interested in before I uh, pivot uh, into our, our our chat here to to see if anybody has questions? No, is both just Sean and Danny both quiet? That's hard. That's yeah, hard no, to do. I, I... No, I'm just trying to think. I'm like, I I I watch a lot of Mavs games, so I'm, I'm that name. But I I get your you know your coffin nails about how much you hate this team sometimes. So sure, yeah. No, I, I'm the loudest <laughs> guy on everybody's feed. Um, this is a good question. CJ Grant asks in the chat, what is it about Terry Stotts that make Blazers fans so like? They want the the calls to fire a very like a, he's a very Sean good coach. take like, this. What what is well, happening? I, is I it just your impression. fan base is nuts? I have waited. I mean, I have I have tried not to engage with uh, the you know that that side. I, I, I'm not I'm not as deep into quote unquote Blazers Twitter as Dan is because I like a lot of the stuff that I write and the stuff that I do is not really Blazers focused. I just kind of live here and go to the games and end up watching the team a lot. But I have to assume that everybody like the the, the people who are like actually, you know, making their Twitter handles fire stops or, like, <laughs> all that stuff. Those guys, it, it has to all be, like, a bunch of bored teens just kind of, you know, shitposting, right? That has to kind of be the, uh, like, what, like, what, like, what a lot of that That's is. That's the because majority like, of it. Like, Cause like look, it's I, anime I, avatars. Right. Exactly. <laughs> look, I under, I under, like, look. I If you told me that this coming off season, let's say the Blazers, you know, they finish about where they are right now, fifth or something in the, in the West and they lose in the first or second round. If the organization, I mean, and there's already been some kind of buzz about this, that like Jason reported last week that, uh, you know, ownership is starting to take notice of the defense. If they decided over the summer that they're going to, you know, Terry had a good run. They've had, they've had this good run. They're going to go in another direction. If they decided, no one would be surprised. No, no, no one would be surprised. And like, even though I like Terry and I think he's a really good coach, and obviously he would get another job in a second if that happened, I would at least be like, you know what? Okay, fine, I get it. Like that—that that makes sense. Sometimes stuff just runs its course. Like, okay, fine, that makes sense. But a lot of these people who are just on Twitter talking, like after every single loss, are just in my mentions and everybody's mentions about how Terry Stotts is the worst coach in the league, and it's—it's it's just like, oh, it's like, okay, you guys, you guys need to calm down. I like it. Yeah, it's 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 mostly psychotic banter. And you you get these guys that you know, they start up a YouTube channel and they played uh intramural basketball at a community college. One of these guys, one of the one, I, I call them the uh the, the the Stotts truthers, they're a lot like flat earthers. <laughs> sure. Uh, uh, one of these guys actually when Dame was addressing this on Twitter, he somebody said something about Stotts and Dame said, you know, we we kind of ride with him. He came to Dame and basically told Dame on Twitter that he just didn't know what he was talking about, and here's why. So, and that, that, that's like one of the leaders of this whole fire stats movement. And I saw that. I just could not, like, my jaw literally dropped when I saw it. I was like, he just told Damian Lillard that Damian Lillard doesn't understand the game of basketball and how it actually works. You just told one it's of the, the five, six best players on the planet. It's a real choice. <laughs> he doesn't understand. So, yeah, I. They're loud, but they they really aren't that many. 
but they definitely hold hands and, they, and they're they're there to build each other up at every opportunity. So if you see one, you're bound to see ten more. Did you see the Did you see the guy a couple days ago that posted a picture of what he said was Terry's house? Yeah, oh, they wow. tried to dock Terry's dots. Which, by see, the way, I, te- I, t- I, t- I texted Terry after I saw that. He said that wasn't his actual house. So I love it. Oh, let's go. That's insane. See, Dallas yeah. is too big of an area for that. Where it's like, like it's it, Carlisle's house is probably so far like away suburbia. And, like no one would want to go to it because it would take an hour and a half to get there. Um, I, I, I do. There was, there was another. Let's see. Oh, this is a good one. So, so Josh in the chat asks, is the dunk contest the pinnacle of the career for Anthony Simons? When is he going to pop? What, what's going on with him? Because I, I remember hearing like he, he kind of, he kind of gives me Blazers Roddy Bobois vibes. I'll let Dan take this one because that's his boy. <laughs> he is. He is my guy. Um, for Ant, number one, playing behind Damon CJs, good for him in most aspects, terrible for him in that getting minutes there is next to impossible. Sure. He's, for me, the one thing I've always said about him is he's got one elite skill set, and that's his ability to create a shot off the bounce. And he's shooting 40% from three on volume when he does play. Um, He's going to be a functional, useful NBA player. I don't know if he's going to end up staying here long term. The they got to figure out the whole Dame, CJ, Gary backcourt because between those three, there's 96 minutes between those two positions, and they're basically eating up all the minutes. Yeah. So that's why part of the reason why I think they're going to end up moving on from Trent in the long run. One, they have another year of Anthony Simons on his rookie deal. Two. I think they're going to look at that and go and see Anthony as the less expensive replacement uh, while being able to flip Gary for another asset down the road because that's kind of what you need to do in the smaller markets. But I, I do believe in him, and I think he'll, he will be a, a viable six-man kind of uh, lead scorer off the bench when he gets his prime. The thing is, is, people tend to forget, he's still a kid. He's not going to be 22 until June. Okay, yeah, that makes a big difference. That really, really does. I feel like he's I, – I thought he was like 24. I don't know why. Yeah, um, no, he's, no, he's still a kid. Well, before I make a hard pivot to, to kind of trade deadline stuff with the rest of the Mavs people and let you two get on with your day, I wanted to, to – would you had, do, do either of you feel like making a, a prediction before, uh, for, the Mavs, for, for the Mavs-Blazers game tonight? I, uh, I'll, give, I'll, I'll give you the easy one. It, okay. it, this, this is it, – each each team's gonna win one. Neither sure. team okay. is gonna sweep this. And I think it's probably it's because, gonna... just because the Blazers played last night, it's probably gonna be Dallas wins tonight, Portland wins Sunday. Yep. Okay. Yep. That's exactly how I see it. And and Portland's gonna be feeling good about how they played defense last night. And they're gonna come out and think it's gonna be that easy against a Mavs team that has <laughs> somebody who can run an offense a lot better than the Pelicans can. And yeah. They're going to get cooked. Uh, I, I, I really feel like Dallas is going to come out and, and put it on Portland tonight, and Portland probably comes and does the same to Dallas on Sunday. Well, well, I, I like this. I'm really, you know, this has been the the uh, the end of a long stretch of late games for me because I'm mm-hmm. East Coast based, and I'm, I'm really bed early, baby. I'm just that's what I'm all about. Cause I, you know, because I, I was up to like two thirty in the morning after one of these Clippers games, and they start an hour <laughs> earlier. It's like, oh no, I can't do this. Um, all right, guys. Well, I'm going to pivot to to some free agency stuff. Thank you so much for hanging out here. Or not free agency trade deadline. Thank you so much for hanging out. Yeah, this is fun. Oh, appreciate you, man.
Yep. All right. So before I do that, I do want to ask, uh, I'm a uh, Paymon here asks in the chat, a question, which we sort of talked about before everything kicked off said matchup wise, do you think Porzingis is poised to have a good game against the Blazers? A lot of stuff with KP almost entirely depends on what he wants to do. Uh, the Clippers game on Wednesday, he had a couple of, of baseline cuts, which had me jumping out of my seat. One was early and he got a dunk. And one was late, and Luca got a floater. When KP is moving, I think he can really, really have a, a, an impact on the game. Um, I, stationary, he draws some, a lot of attention, and I think that's by design. But I like it when the Mavericks get him moving because I think he, he's a 7'3 guy. He's scary. Like, like, it just causes people to panic when him and Luca are both on, both on, the, uh, you know, on the move. Um, Sir so CJ Grant asks, will Mello shut down KP? Gosh, uh, sturdier, like, like strong guys really do bother KP. That's a, he, he, and plus, since they were obviously on the same team together, I think that Mello has a lot of, of KP's game, like knows it pretty well. Uh, and, and, and really I think Mello or uh, KP pattern parts of his post game off of what Mello does only it's not as good. Um, so that, that's going to be a fun one to watch. Cause you know, that Mello is going to be calling for that matchup. Um, Bobby Chapman asks, is Luca top three MVP now? We briefly touched on this at the very start of the show. And I think that he's not there yet, but if this is kind of a competition of last man standing, if the Mavericks somehow go on a run and get into the four, five, maybe even three range, which looking at the, the, the standings, I think is going to be a little bit difficult, but if that were to happen, then Luca would vaunt himself in that discussion. Um, but I, I just I see him being on the outside looking in. He's probably he's going to be all NBA again, but probably second or third team just because people like Dame are simply playing better. Um, and it, you know, the Bobby also points out that it's a national TV game, uh, uh, which is where Luca tends to show out. Tyler Adams asks, "What does Willie Cauley Stein have to do for you to tweet an apology at him?" Um. I mean, I, I, I will not apologize. Double down, don't apologize is the mantra of the internet. Uh, though I did apologize about Brunson. So I, I, the, I don't know. Not suck is really the first thing Willie is going to have to do. Um, but I will say that, that I, I like his, his effort in these limited minute bursts. I think if he gets above 15 minutes is where things start to get wonky for him. Um, but he, he, you know, he played pretty well against the Clippers. You know, that three point shot just made me laugh because you could just see like Carlisle's like sucking Willie's soul from his body as it happened. Um, let's see here. We did have a, a trade chat that trade chat. So Jeremy, uh, uh, he's on Twitter here. Love sending me some crazy trade proposals. Uh, as, as the, the DM he sent me actually says, I choose violence. And he pitched this to me. And I, uh, it's a three-team trade, which three-team trades just don't happen that much. Uh, so, so you know, we'll just put that out there that this is kind of a, a you know, up-in-the-air one. But the Mavericks would receive Stephen Adams, Eric Bledsoe, and Luke Kennard. The Clippers would receive Lonzo Ball. And the Pelicans would receive Hardaway, James Johnson, Lou Williams, Willie Cauley-Stein, and Boban Marjanovic. I you're absolutely yeah i know adams can't be be traded as as rye points out in the chat but this is just for like the sake of of angry you know of 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 ideas and you're absolutely choosing violence the the, tim hardaway jr is as close to his untradeable player as the mavericks have following luca and kp i i just am convinced of this um at the moment because 
his instant offense and willingness to shoot the ball is something that the, the Mavericks don't have. I mean, how many times is, is, is Dorian Finney-Smith going to catch the ball in the corner and then dribble or pump fake into nowhere? Like, the willingness to take a shot is such a valuable commodity in the NBA. Making shots kind of a different bet because teams, you know, it's, it's, really, it's, it's really tough uh, to, to, you know, score in the NBA. But just the willingness and having that kind of unfettered confidence that Tim Hardaway does. I mean, the man carries himself like, uh, what were the names of those uh, WWE wrestlers? The Hardy Boys. Like, like, Tim Hardaway Jr. is a Hardy Boy in my mind. Like, just endless feckless confidence that that drives me nuts but i i really appreciate the the how he plays uh josh asks in the chat which western conference team will make the most improvement at the deadline Ugh, it's got to be one of the better teams you know this the fact that the clippers are even on the table to potentially trade for lonzo ball is sort of of it's a rich get richer situation um, this is why Josh uh, Bo and I have been railing so much about the Mavericks past few off seasons, because as Tim Cato and John Hollander sort of discussed today in their article, the Mavericks just don't have a lot of options. When you trade KP in two picks, you are locked into KP in two picks and they didn't use their bird rights appropriately in 2019. So the Mavericks don't really have anywhere to go, but the rest of the West, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's hard for me to predict one. Cause I suck at this. This is really like Dalton's purview. Um, and people who are just, you know, and Rye, who's in the chat, who loves making uh, uh, fake trades. It's kind of his, it's it's like, I think you wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, Rye, and you end up like posting uh, uh, stuff on, on Twitter about the possible trades. But, you know, I, I could see maybe Denver doing something to mix things up a little bit, but their coach is like Carlisle and that I think he likes his guys, even though he acts like he doesn't like any of them. Uh, the Suns probably stand pat. The Jazz probably stand pat. I, I, you know, the Warriors are locked into a certain path, but they're, they're big swing kind of guys. Um, it's really interesting because once you get past Golden State, I think that, that you run into these six teams in the bottom of the standings and one of them is going to end up making the, the play in tournament. And I don't think like, like Memphis is still thinking. No one's going to convince me of that otherwise. Jaron Jackson Jr. would be playing by now if they weren't still thinking. Um, that's, that's kind of the, the the big gist of things um so now we've been babbling for now you know for almost an hour here does anybody want to come up on stage and post a question either about you know the recent play rye you joined us finally on audio what's happening i'm good how are you kirk i'm great Pitt, what, what do we got going so my question is um around the trade deadline i'm kind of with you i don't think the team is going to make a move sadly but if you had the choice do you sacrifice next year's cap space to go partially all in this year, or do you make a run at these third, fourth tier free agents since all the big names are gone? This is a really tough one. I think that they, I don't really see them uh, sacrificing their cap space, but what would I do? I would take a bite at the best possible player who's available now because the Mavericks seem to be much better in these sort of, 1v1 situations to use, you know, video game terminology because they, they, they operate better off of trades than they do in free agency because in free agency, there's so many variables, which the Mavericks don't consider. Um, so that would be, be my, my, as much as I hate cat, you know, I would like, if there's a good player they could go get right now, like let's say Lonzo really is available and they think Lonzo could work with Luca long-term. And I know a lot of people don't like that. I've gotten some real heat in my mentions, which indicates to me that people still remember Lonzo from when he played at UCLA, not how he's actually been utilized in the NBA. 
Um, but if they can go get Lonzo and then make kind of, you know, lock up his rights and give him a, you know, restricted deal or something like, you know, be able to get him in at a, at a re, you know, what, I don't know what reasonable is in the NBA anymore. I'd like to see him at least try it. Um, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think that, that they're still kind of hell bent on seeing what happens. You know, once again, I feel the Mavericks have been caught with their pants down and that this, this 10 game play in resulted in far fewer sellers than they were really, you know, uh, uh, prepared for. So, you know, it's frustrating, but I also see how it happened. But, you know, as, as Tim Cato noted today in his article, you know, at the end of this, you still have a 22 year old MVP candidate and a 25 year old seven foot three guy who on paper, you know, these two project to work as well as possible. I mean, uh, Bobby Corrala, noted that the you know the two of them have finally played something like it's either 70 or 85 games or something like this is but they're winning like 60 plus percent of the games that those two play together and and that cannot be ignored so so i I think that's a good question though right um next i was who uh somebody and sent an invitation and then it went away um let's see here if the Clippers lose, Kawhi is coming to Dallas, right? Josh asks in the chat. I just love this. This is, I, I don't like uh, Kawhi. Like, just fan and me, don't, don't like him. Don't like how he, he treated the Spurs, even though it's the Spurs. You know, the, the, sort of th- the sort of special treatment he asks and gets is just so blatant. You know, it, yes, you're a superstar, but when you rub that in everybody's face, <laughs> that sort of stuff just sits poorly with me. I, call me an old man, whatever. But my God, would he be incredible next to Luca? Because you know he, he probably doesn't want as much usage as he gets uh, uh, with the Clippers, where they need him. You know, he's he's a, he's not an old guy, but he he's you know the guy needs to ha- treat his body a certain way. And I think with the Mavericks, he could get away with playing 55, 60 games in an eighty-two game season if he needed to. The Mavericks would probably be okay with that because when when Kawhi's in the game, he's just an absolute killer. I mean, he and Luca are pound for pound, probably two of the three strongest guys, maybe four guys in their position group in the league, kind of, you know, big wing ball handling guy. The other being kind of, you know, James Harden and LeBron. I mean, just that, having that much strength on one team would be super awesome for me. Uh, I, I, at the same time, I don't see him leaving L.A. Seems to be a very... Uh, very L.A. guy, which was not something I knew about him until, you know, kind of the Spurs-based saga. He was out of San Diego, grew up down there. So, so that's, that's kind of the, uh, the big one. Um, I don't know. This, this trade deadline, let's see here. Hi, Ben. What's up? Thanks for joining. Hey, Kirk. Uh, I guess my, I, my question was just uh, Josh Green, what does he have to do to play? And what is he doing when he does get in there that's making Rick Carlisle so angry at him? What does he have to do to play? I think the main thing he has to do to play is, and I'm I'm absolutely serious about this, is we as the media kind of needs to turn the story around on Rick and start asking these questions at length. Uh, There have been times in the past where I earnestly feel the writing done by you know Dallas Morning News and various other other media outlets, and paired with the data analysis that that sites do like ours, have resulted in the Mavericks considering things. I know that's going to sound crazy, to people, because we're just kind of a fan blog, but I know for a fact that the Mavericks read all of our stuff. Uh, we get 
comments about it. So I think kind of an, an, an earnest campaign asking this question day in and day out would prompt him to, to at least address it because without practice time, and there's not a lot of it, Carlisle is just not going to give the guy a chance. He is an old school guy where he likes seeing kind of things in practice, but how do you do that if there isn't any? Um, and what is he doing when he gets on the floor that is driving Rick Carlisle crazy? Well, the first thing he's doing is not being good at basketball. That's kind of the be end, uh, end all with him is he is not good at basketball. Uh, he has tools. He is a really interesting defender because of his body type. I think he has the athleticism for it, but I don't think he has the instincts. Uh, and I could be wrong because I've not seen enough. Uh, you know, the, the people who loved him in the draft or at least thought he could be something indicate that he has kind of the toolbox for it. But in the NBA, he's he doesn't get the call. Like, he got he gets a lot of ticky-tack crap, which drives me crazy. Yeah, yeah, Taylor in the chat notes that he jumps at everything. And that's just a lot of rookie mistake type things. And I wish he would kind of pl- be able to play through it because, you know, yeah, okay, Tim Hardaway takes charges, but that's basically the extent of his defense. Um, I, I, there just needs to be a little more. Uh, it's not like a one do is going to be on the team next year. This is, uh, you know, Richard Romero in the chat points out Justin Anderson 2.0. Well, I, I recommend you guys go check out Justin Anderson's rookie year. Justin played, and then they made the playoffs anyways. This is not looking good for Josh Green. This is looking like an absolute failure on the Mavs front office. That could change. You know, it's a long career, but this sort of stuff, uh, this sort of stuff is is really driving me nuts. So yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, take, I'll, I'll step ahead. in. I'll say Justin Anderson. Go back and look. He that playoff series he played. He played well. So yeah, yeah. everyone acts like he was a bum. He was not. He, I mean, he's not some you know Mavs Hall of Famer, but I enjoyed his play that year. I did. I did too, except for his shot, which reminded me of like the trebuchets in Lord of the Rings where they're like shooting the rocks over the tower. Um, it's his shot was just horrendous. And I, I, but I do feel like the guy was so strong that he could shoot it like full court. Um, I'm going to invite Taylor here up on stage who had a question. Taylor. The other thing I remember Justin Anderson was great for is I'm pretty sure it's he and Charlie V were the ones that broke up the, uh, Russell Westbrook's handshake during that. Oh, what a great memory. Truly one of the highlights of that era. Um, but but on the on the you know trade deadline note, I like I, I'm with you guys. I don't think they're really going to do anything because I don't think they have that many options. But like that said, um, just like granting, what do you think that they'll do with all this cap space and free agency? Because I think that they're going to want to hold on to Tim, but hopefully at a, you know, I, someone may throw a bag at him and, and get him paid, but hopefully they'll be able to lock him into something reasonable. But then would you be willing to just throw the max at somebody like Collins? Because that's what's going to – that's what it would take to um, pry him away in restricted free agency, it seems like. Or, like, we just where where do you see in the on the wing or maybe, like, four – where do you see them actually trying to improve in the offseason? Because I don't think this is going to be anything close to our, our lineup, our starting lineup um, – beginning of next year that is a good, question. Is a good question i'm gonna i'm gonna have to remove you because we're getting a lot of feedback sorry um it's kind of the biggest it's the question that looms the largest because they've made they've made mistakes and gambles for two straight off seasons that haven't paid off and now they're at the point where they have to spend all the money i suspect they overpay just about every possible way for the 
not for a superstar, but for guys who fill in their, their rotation. Um, that's why I asked the question about Gary Trent Jr. Because there's a lot of guys who are matchable that are going to be up. And the thing about matching contracts and, and restricted free agency, you got to remember, is that a team that, that you know, let's say the, the, the Mavs uh, offer the Pelicans or uh, Alonzo Ball a deal. The Pelicans have a period of days to match, which locks up the Mavericks cap space in a real way. And as we saw in 2019, the market can move so fast. And so you really have to know what, you know, who, what, what's the, the Blazers walk away point for Gary Trent, for example, you know, uh, Danny said earlier, he thinks like 25 million is kind of where it is. Um, that's, and, and frankly, I don't have the faith in the Mavericks office to know walk away points because they, it's two years later. I know for a fact that they thought they were getting Danny Green. They thought that was happening. They thought it was happening and then it didn't happen. And so I, you know, and that's going to happen in negotiations and these sorts of things just can really go awry. So the Mavericks game plan has to be really kind of, you know, the, the, the multiverse of madness type thing where they have like 12 different options and then figure it out. Um, let's see here. Uh, if there's oh yeah and Kemba you know Kemba was basically locked up uh, from what I hear until the you know Horford left the Celtics and then it just there's just a cascade of things where the Mavericks are always uh, you know kind of the the girl at the dance that doesn't have a partner and this is is very it, it's very interesting I mean it, you know what happens with THJ is going to be worth paying attention to because even at his age I think he'll be able to continue to get shots well into his you know. They could offer him a four-year deal, and I think he'd be a good player at 33 because it's not like his defense can get worse. Uh, you know, like the ability to – like when willingness to take jump shots is, is going to exist. I mean, maybe his athleticism declines some. But, yeah, this is going to be kind of nuts. So we got until the 25th, which is uh, a Thursday. So, you know, knowing me and my willingness to, and, uh, to talk about the same things over and over again, I have a feeling we'll do, uh, you know, one of these locker room chats midday during the day next week. As far as, you know, the Mavs Moneyball uh, podcast schedule goes, uh, Josh will be uh, taking a short hiatus for a little while. So it's just going to be me which makes me think I'm going to be doing some of these locker rooms, letting you guys come on and talk. Let's talk out these games together and get some, uh, get some of our feelings out. This has been nice. There's been a lot of you hanging out with me for over an hour here, which I, I cannot tell you how grateful I am for that. Uh, we'll be coming, you know, uh, follow me on here. I'll post about this on social and, you know, we can come hang out after games as often as possible. Uh, you know, talk for a half hour. Um, this has been fun. This has been Kirk Henderson with uh, Mavs Moneyball Live, and I will probably see you guys at the game.